Hello, one and all, and welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, or genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Sutfield. I'm your host, and I'm very excited to welcome you guys to this week's episode of Film Fragments, where today we are going to be talking about our favorite films directed by the one and only Guillermo del Toro in honor of his newest film, Pinocchio, which is currently out in select theaters around the world and will be hitting Netflix at some point in December. We're very excited to be talking about this acclaimed, celebrated Academy Award winning filmmaker, literally one of the best voices working today. Such a great imagination, very unique, finds a way of standing out on his own, tackles so many different genres, is able to do these high profile blockbusters and do these smaller intimate character studies. It's really incredible how much range this man has. He's done so much and he won't stop anytime soon. And I'm more excited to be talking about Guillermo with today's guest. Although she claims, she claims that she doesn't like Guillermo at all. So when she told me that she wanted to come on to today's show to talk about Guillermo, and she was like, you know, I want to talk about Guillermo del Toro, but I'm not that big of a fan of him. And in my head, I'm like, why would you come on to talk about Guillermo del Toro? We'll see what she has to say about Mr. Del Toro. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Film Fragments, Gabby Burgos. Gabby, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> Why do you hate Guillermo? Why are you here? <laughs> no, <laughs> like if you ever hear me say I hate Guillermo del Toro, you've met my evil twin. <laughs> so all, all jokes aside, it's it's such an honor to have you on. I cannot wait to gush with you about Guillermo del Toro since he's you, you claim that he's your favorite working filmmaker. So before we get into talking about your thoughts on Guillermo del Toro, let me throw you a nice curveball question. So you get the option to take one Guillermo del Toro character out to dinner, whether it's with your family, friends, or yourself. You could pick one guy and you could pick one girl. Which characters would you pick? Oh, my God. Can it be a monster? Of course. El Fauno from Pan's Labyrinth. This is my, one of my picks. And, uh, you know, I kind of want to talk. Like, I can't pick a specific character, but I kind of want to talk to, like, the entire the entire cast of Pacific Rim. That's a great, that's a great choice. That's like, I great. can't pick a specific character. I just want to talk to everybody. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Interestingly enough for me, in terms of guys, because I met Ron Perlman, I have to go mm-hmm. with a Ron Perlman character. I'm going to go with Hellboy. <laughs> I loved Hellboy when I was younger. And honestly, I have a thing about hanging out with very bad boys. So I'm going to choose him <laughs> as my guy. And then my girl, to go in the completely opposite route of someone who isn't bad, she just seems like the most warm, infectious soul Ever. I'm going to go with Elisa from The Shape of Water, Sally Hawkins's character, because obviously with her not being able to talk, some people may be like, really, you're going to go out to dinner with her? Sally Hawkins is one of the most like endearing people in the entire industry. And anytime that she's on screen, she just glows like her personality just like radiates and she just seems like the most down to earth human being possible. And I love that character so much. And obviously, we'll talk about the movie later on. But that would be my pick of who I would take to dinner. And 
I think it would be great. You know, she just she just seems like a fun person to be around. And even if she can't or you can't really communicate with her, it would be a nice dinner. A, a huge drastic change going from her to Hellboy. Like that's a whole drastic shift, but that just shows the amount of range Very. that Del Toro has <laughs> when telling stories. Like I would I if I sat down with her, I would ask so many questions regarding the fish man yeah so like what was how- it like so what was it like being with the fish man yeah number one number like, one how just number one question don't don't explain it just, to me just don't even don't even i don't want to know <laughs> i don't want to know no let's just address the elephant in the room yes the fish what in the was room. it like to be the fish in the room actually the fish <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. So to go on a little bit about yourself, talk a little bit about what got you into film. Talk a little bit about what you do on the side with your film criticism, writing about film and actually making films yourself. And why do you love film so much? Like what makes Gabby such a fan of film? It's a loaded question. (laughs) So how I got into film. Well, I've always been a big reader since I was a kid. And so, you know, I always, you know, read you imagine things in your head. You picture all these fantasy worlds. You read about these worlds that you think that they can't be real and all of that stuff. And then I remember when I was like six, seven years old, I sat with my dad and I watched a little independent film. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Lord of the Rings. No, I haven't heard of that one at all, actually. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> So I saw this little movie and, you know, there were castles or monsters. It was magic and it looked real. And I was like, hold up. Like, you can do that. You can like make it like happen, not just in like books or animation. Like you can like actually like use like makeup and stuff to make it. That's crazy. Who would have known, right? (laughs) So that's kind of when I became like obsessed with like live action in a way because I would watch animated movies as a kid. But then I became like obsessed with live action films because I wanted to see, you know, how you can create like real things that you know, like make up your own magical worlds and bring them to life in a way, not just in books, but like for you to be able to watch them and make them tangible, make them feel real. So that's kind of like how that all began. I'm a big fantasy, sci-fi, you know, all of that. It's creating new worlds, new creatures, monsters. Love that. So, but obviously I grew up in Puerto Rico. And so my first language is Spanish. So all of those movies I would watch, none of them were in Spanish. All of them were in English. So I remember thinking like, oh, so for me to make, be able to make that, it will have to be in English. And then I saw this tiny, uh, this other tiny film called Pan's Labyrinth, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Who's now, that? Is, I don't know. Some wonder what he's up to these days. Yeah. <laughs> and so that movie is in Spanish. And that's when I realized, wait, I don't have to change anything. I can make it. I can do that. 
and kind of like that's how how it started like I started writing like books and then like I thought I was gonna be well what I was gonna be when I grew up who knows you know honestly who knows what they're gonna be when grew up 24 still trying to figure it out who knows but you know I went through like a bunch of things but you know I always like writing so I would write like short stories and then I, I ended up going to college to study English lit and uh, was it until like junior year that I decided that I want to wanted to get into filmmaking and so I started writing scripts and I am now pursuing a master's in screenwriting and I'm in pre-production for my third short film <laughs> but the ironic part is that I always thought I was going to be writing all these monster movies I have not written a single monster movie yet not yet it will happen though. I <laughs> can feel coming. it it's coming, but then also because I wanted to make one, but at the same time, I don't have the budget for one. <laughs> I think to me, the most, the the thing that got me into film was that it, it makes things real. In a way, you see it, you don't imagine it. And kind of like, no, just seeing things come to life, which is why I, I, I watched like a lot of book to movie adaptations, just seeing things that I imagine come to life and then that's kind of how it is being a writer director you write something then you see it come back to life it's like the greatest feeling in the world and it's just that like seeing you know escaping reality in a sense even if it's not like fantasy sci-fi or anything just like getting to care about these like people for two hours sometimes three depending on the movie (laughs) it's just the feeling that it invokes on you like someone wrote a silly little script and made a silly little movie and then you're crying for three days about it like that's crazy (laughs) that's crazy so going into Guillermo del Toro why is he one of your favorites if not your favorite filmmaker what about him do you think evokes people to come see his stuff? And why do you think he's as celebrated of a filmmaker as he is? So to me, it, it a lot of it has to do with my identity. Again, like I grew up watching films in English made by white people. And then you have this Mexican director who's pro- who doesn't hide, you know, his heritage. He's very, very proud of where he's from. And he's making... Like, the types of film that I love. It meant a lot to me, you know. Seeing him speak Spanish at press events, connect with, you know, his Latin, his Latinx fans, fans from all over. And just, you know, being proud of who he is and not having to sacrifice that part of him to make, you know, like, the films that he wants to make. Like, that, again... Pan's Labyrinth changed my life in ways that cannot be described. Just seeing a, a monster film in Spanish, even though it was from Spain, <laughs> seeing someone from a similar background that I have accomplish his dreams without having to give up his identity, that to me is... Because for like I feel that sometimes they tell you that you have to like give up a part of yourself to accomplish your dreams. And I remember 
when I was younger, like thinking that I might have to change my last name because it sounds like too foreign. <laughs> and I kind of didn't want to do that. And so him keeping his full name, like Guillermo del Toro, and deal with it. You pronounce it like that's his name. Like the same thing with Alejandro Gonzalez Iñarritu. You got you learn how to pronounce it. Like they're not changing who they are just to please like no gringos. <laughs> And then he's not afraid to be himself. Like, I remember the speech he gave when he got the Hollywood star of fame. He said, first of all, I'm weird. That was like the first line of his speech. And I was like, yes, me too. And he's just proud of who he is. And he makes what he wants to make and doesn't care about what people say. He just wants to, he just wants to make his films. He wants to make money. And like, you can tell like the way he loves film, the way he talks about what he makes, like, seeing a uh, cabinet of curiosities the way he introduces every single episode makes me want to cry like he, and he's not afraid of being authentic that like he's hasn't given out a part of himself to make what he likes and so that to me is what's most inspiring yeah i mean you nailed it beautifully he's not afraid to show himself he's not afraid to express who he is and he's not afraid to make whatever he wants to make and like i said at yeah. the top the guy has tackled so many different genres. He's not a filmmaker that sticks to just one specific genre. Like the fact that he could do a horror movie, he could do a big wild action movie. He could do essentially like a comic book graphic novel superhero movie. He could do a period romance. He could do a noir film. And now he's venturing into doing an animated film. And it's like the guy is able to do so many different things he's able to balance so many genres into one project which is a very difficult thing to do for me the way that i look at it whenever filmmakers want to incorporate multiple genres into one single project it could be very 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 jarring but del toro yeah. is able to find a way for it to feel very nuanced and balance itself very delicately and it just works so beautifully. He's one of the best filmmakers we have working today. And like you said, he embraces his weirdness. He embraces the passion that he has. I love like how he loves doing practical over CGI. Looking at what he brings to his films, you find very little CGI. And the CGI that does come in, it's very strong. Like it doesn't look like it was cheap. It looks... Like they went in with the budget and it looks like, okay, he was given a hundred million dollars. This looks like someone that was put together for a hundred million dollars because you see films that cost like $300 million and they look like they were made for $30 and that's not okay. He is without question, one of the best filmmakers working today. I love that he's an Oscar winner. I think it's so cool that he's an Oscar winner. It's so exciting. And I, I cannot wait to talk with you about him. And now we're going to have an even better gift because we're going to talk right now about our favorite Del Toro movies. So, Gabby, what is your number five favorite Del Toro film of all time? So my number five, yeah, it's number five because I was very excited for it. And it was like his follow-up after winning the Oscar for Shape of Water. So I had very high expectations. And this was like his passion project. And it would always hold a special place in my heart because it was thanks to this movie that I met him. But unfortunately, it is like not my favorite. And that is Nightmare Alley. I think technically it's incredible. Like 
the directing, the VFX, the cinematography was absolutely stunning. I just thought that the film was too long and it felt like three films in one. And I I was not, like I frankly once, I didn't really care about the romance between Bradley Cooper and Rooney Mara. I was more interested in the like him just like conning people. Like had the entire movie been the whole plot between him, Kate Winslet, and uh, Kate Blanchett. Richard Jenkins. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. <laughs> him and Richard Jenkins. That would have been great. Like that whole third act with once Richard Jenkins entered the equation, it was great. It would have like an hour and a half movie of just like the entire th- like what what was going on with Richard Jenkins would have been great. But yeah, I just I don't think like it. Like the three storylines merged very well, and it made me very sad because again, it was a passion project, and him talking about it at the premiere, like he fought for this mo- to make this movie for years, and he was so excited that he finally got to make it. And you know, it wasn't a monster movie; like we're used to him making monster movies, so this was like it's not a monster movie. So he was talk- he wanted to explore about how sometimes humans are the real monsters, which I think it's a fascinating concept, and you can definitely see it in this movie. But I I was let down by it and it, it made me very sad. Like I was just devastated. I was heartbroken because I didn't like because I was ready for this to be like my movie of the year. But unfortunately it wasn't. But I did get to meet him and talk to him. And so that for that reason, that movie holds a special place in my heart. But it's not my favorite of his. So it's not my favorite of his either. But it also happens to be my number five because I walked out of the movie very, very impressed with it. Now, I didn't full on love it. I had some gripes with it. Mm -hmm. But as someone who loves noir films, I thought it was really exciting that he finally got to make a noir film. Like you said, he'd been very passionate about bringing this to life. Obviously, this story had been adapted to a film before in the 40s. So I yeah. think a lot of people were so hesitant. They're like, why are they remaking this? I Granted, now keep in mind, I've never seen the original. To anyone listening, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to anyone listening. I have not seen the original. I was going to watch it before this one came out, but just time, it just did not work out. It just didn't pan out. But I went into the movie, of course, excited because, like you said, it was his follow-up to winning the Oscar for Shape of Water. It was a completely different film for him. Like you said, it was Patch Project. And that cast assembled... That was one of the coolest casts assembled of last year. Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Richard Jenkins, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, David Strathen. That cast, I mean, you had a, first of all, you had a mini Carol reunion. I mean, come on, that's incredible, first of all. And then you had Bradley and Kate working together. I mean, that's like two of the hottest actors, not just talent-wise, but looks-wise. So it was like really cool to see them work together and also just again it just looks so cool and on a technical level this film is absolutely spectacular it's directed beautifully it's the the imagery is in it's stunning i am still shocked just looking at it uh the production design is amazing the costumes on a technical level everything is pretty fun the score the score Oh my God. Oh my God. 
And you know, the in opening the back of, scene, the opening, the opening scene with the fire. Oh, you know what? I loved Doom with all my heart. I really did. But you know, when you're up against Nightmare Alley and the tragedy of Macbeth, and you somehow beat both of those movies for their cinematography, I'm just like, how? How? I just don't. I don't get it. And I Ooh, love that. Dune so much. I really do. I'm a huge yeah. Dune fan. But like. Think about how great that category was for cinematography. You had Dune, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Tragedy Macbeth, and West Side Story. Regardless of, of how one feels about those movies, those were five of the best shot movies of last year. Like, yes. that was an incredible cag lineup for cinematography. Like, all five Absolutely. of those movies are shot. In, it's insane. Night, Nightmare Alley... I mean, just the imagery just blew my mind. But going into the story, I agree. It did. It was really long. You did feel the pace at that times. But I was really engrossed with the mystery that was going on surrounding these characters. I loved following Bradley Cooper's character. It was a very interesting character for him because I'll be honest, when the movie first started, he wasn't talking for like a half hour. I'm like, okay, what's this guy's deal? What's going on? Like something's not right. And also Bradley Cooper doesn't play characters that don't talk. Like, as soon as Bradley Cooper comes on screen, he just blabbers. He jibber-jabbers. And that's what he does in all of his movies. So for him to play a character that's very restrained was very out of left field. But I liked seeing that aspect of him. Yeah, the relationship between him and Rooney wasn't my favorite. I think it's cool that they both got to work together. I love both of them as actors. So it was very exciting to see them work together. But really for me, when it was when Kate came on screen, I think that's when the film like really escalated to being better. Because not only is Kate Blanchett one of the best actors working today, I think that character propelled the storyline. It just made it a lot more. She just made it a lot more engrossing. And you're like question who she is and what her goals are and then what side she's on and what she really wants and as soon as Richard Jenkins comes in it it's just incredible and then from there on until the end I, I, I there are a lot of people that I respect that really don't like the way that this movie ends with him crying in the trailer and everything or the cart or whatever but when he's fully bearded and everything I don't know. I found that to be some of Bradley Cooper's best acting to date. And again, on a technical level, this is a very impressive feature for Del Toro. And story-wise, it may not be the strongest of his catalog, but I was just really into it. And again, I was so impressed that he was able to do something like this. And I'll be honest, I was shocked, truly, truly shocked when this got nominated for Best Picture, because I did not see that coming. I did not think it was going to happen. No one had it in their precursors. It was pretty much getting like snubbed and overlooked from everywhere. It was getting a lot of technical achievements, which made sense. But for Oscar nomination morning, to then hear the words, Nightmare Alley come out of Tracy Ellis Ross's mouth, I was like, wait a minute, Nightmare Alley? What? Like, I, I was like, did she just say Nightmare Alley? That doesn't make any sense. That literally got nominated nowhere. And I would not put it in the Oscar top 10. But, I mean, I think it's kind of cool that they nominated Del Toro's Passion Project. It was nice because then you realize, okay, Guillermo walked away at this past Oscars as an Oscar nominee. 
And he's going to do it again, except I'm calling it right now. He's going to win an Oscar at the next ceremony, which is going to be beautiful. I cannot wait for that. That's my prediction for the Oscars in a few months. But yeah, Nightmare Alley was a very good film. It wasn't as amazing as I wanted it to be, but I still really, really, really dug it. I haven't watched it again. I have seen clips of it in black and white, which is kind of impressive. It still looks very stunning in black and white, but yeah, that film was absolutely wild and I had a very good time of it and I do look forward to watching it again down the road. So now going into our number fours, what is your pick? So my number four is another one. It was the second Del Toro movie I watched that also, also has a deep place in my heart. Hellboy 2 the Golden Army. So I saw Hellboy 2 the Golden Army before watching like Hellboy 1, okay? <laughs> and I remember watching it and then the credits roll directed by Guillermo and I was like, this is the same guy that did Pants <laughs> You're like clapping, you're like, is this the same guy? <laughs> then I, I remember being like, I love this movie. And I still do. Like, I will watch it once in a while. It's become a comfort film. Again, I've ne- I don't know much about Hellboy. I've never read the comics. Like, my only point of reference of Hellboy is literally the Guillermo del Toro movies. That's all I know about, about Hellboy. So how accurate it is to the comics, I don't know. But I had a re- I have a really fun time with this movie. Again, it's a it was also like the first time that I saw him direct action. So seeing his take on action scenes, it was very cool, and like the difference in colors as well. Because Pan's Labyrinth is very somber, it's very dark, and then Hellboy is very vibrant. Like the co- the use of colors, the characters are completely different as well, and so. It was, it's just a really fun movie and it brings me joy. And also like the little the little monsters at the opening scene on the the ones that eat the teeth. Those things gave me nightmares. But I lo- like still I still enjoy it. And then the angel of death when Hellboy is dying. Like that that thing. I love that thing. It's just a fun movie. And then the monster that turns in, that's like a giant plant that destroys the city. And then Hellboy has a baby that's holding a baby while he like fights this thing. It's just a fun movie. I have a fun time. Like what, like it might not be one of his best, but I love it. It brings me joy. (laughs) And then it goes back to my whole thing of realizing that you can like, do things like that with practical effects and not just in animation it's my number four as well (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it makes me wonder what the rest of this episode's gonna be like if we literally have the same five films this is hilarious oh my god uh, like you, when this came out I had never seen the first Hellboy I kept seeing the trailer (laughs) for Hellboy 2 and I was like, this looks really cool. I want to go see this. So then my mom took me to go see it. And I was 10, so same age as you when that that when Hellboy mm-hmm. 2 came out. It's just so crazy that it came out that long ago. Um I didn't even realize it'd been that long. <laughs> it's 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 nuts. It's nuts that it's been that long. So I watched it when I was a kid, 
And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I don't understand anything that's going on because I don't know the context of anything because I had not seen the first one, but this is a really fun time. So then fast forward a few years later and I watched both of them again. And yeah, I love both of these movies so much. And I really love that Guillermo del Toro was able to do something like this. Now he had tackled comic book material prior because yeah. he made Blade 2. With When it comes to Hellblade, it's very dark. It's very brooding. It has the del Toro aspects into it. Like you said, it has all these practical effects. The makeup work is so fucking good. I don't understand why the makeup has didn't win an Oscar because the makeup, especially on Hellboy, is insanely good. And then the makeup on on Ape. I forgot her. On Ape. Ape yeah, it's Ape Sapien. I mean... It's just incredible, and there's so much practical effects, and it's like, how do you not recognize this? It's insane. And the thing about Hellboy 2 is that it furthers the antis. It upens the craziness, and, you know, there are some very low-key and tender moments in this movie. There's a moment where it's Hellboy and Abe just talking, and then they start singing, and as a kid, I'm like, what is the context of this scene? But then as an adult, when I watched it, I'm like, this is actually a really sweet and tender moment, considering that the rest of the movie is, like, not sweet and tender at all. And I love how the movie is able to incorporate a really good amount of comedy into it. But there's the whole sequence where they just walk around. Liz Sherman, who's played fantastically by Selma Blair. She's amazing in these films. Yeah. She's so fucking good in these yeah. movies. Um, she She's like, there have been 70 deaths reported. There are no survivors. Hellboy's like, same story, babe. Don't call me babe. Ape, I said, ape. Just the timing is great. And Ron Perlman, I mean, I'm, I may be biased because I met the guy, but I've been a big fan of Ron Perlman my whole life. I love him as his character. I love him on Sons of Anarchy. I've loved Ron Perlman for a very, very long time. I love when he collaborates with Del Toro. He's just so good. And he, as his character, no disrespect to David Harbour, who I love dearly. He's literally dad. Yeah. I love him so much. But I call him dad, too. But, like, literally, he could never be on the same level oh, as Ron Perlman. What Ron Perlman brought to that character was just so insane and he disappeared into that role. I mean, not only because of the makeup, but just the performance was so good. And he was so, like, he just added a lot of gravitas to that character and a lot of nuance. Like, yeah, he's a very brooded, despicable guy, but he also has a heart. And you see that, especially in this second film, as the relationship between him and Liz, like, rises. Like, it just, like, all that tension. I'm like, all right, just just go for it. Just go for it. Let's go. Let's go. Just make the move. Let's go. Watching this sequel, it makes me sad that we never got a third Hellboy with this team. Now, that's not to say that it can't happen, but I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. I'm glad that we got to talk about Hellboy today because it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge Hellboy. And it seems to be one of those comic book graphic novel properties that even people who don't like these kinds of movies, they love this one because it stands out on its own. It doesn't rely on the stupid tropes and everything like it. It's its own thing. And Grant, this was at a time where comic book superhero movies weren't what they are now. I love it so much. So now I'm curious, are we going to have the same number three? Let's find out. What is your number three? So my number three is Pacific Rim. So the funny story about Pacific Rim is that it was the first Del Toro movie I saw in theaters. 
and it was me and my brother and my mom and we were like let's go to the movies and we went okay and so Pacific Rim has started playing and I saw directed by Guillermo I was like we gotta see this that's my boy because at that point I'd only seen Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy and to me this was like oh this was a larger scale than anything he'd ever done before like the kaijus, like that was just massive. And I de- there's definitely a lot more CGI in it, but he made it work in a way that it looked very real. And I just thought like the whole, the plot as well, like to me, it wasn't just a mindless action movie. There was like a lot of emotion behind it. And I actually, we actually care about the characters. And I think it's just a very well-rounded film in terms of everything. And I just, it's just a lot of fun. Like, I love big monster movies. And this was, like, exactly what I what I wanted at the time that I saw it. And I still watch it from time to time. It's such a good movie. I really like it. And I think that people don't appreciate it enough as well, which is why I put it on my list. Because I don't hear a lot of people talking about Pacific Rim. The first one, not the sequel. Because. <laughs> He did not direct the sequel, so we do not acknowledge it. We only acknowledge the first one. So, this is not on my list. Darn it! <laughs> but it's so much fun. I remember so seeing good. This, I went to see this opening day. I went with my mom to go see it, and I had such a blast. Uh, watching I this. our I mom's had, just I, casual. I, yeah, Our my casual. Those my 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 dad doesn't give a fuck about these kinds of movies. So like when when I would go see movies with my dad, I would go see like the intimate character studies. I wouldn't see like the big budget stuff. Like my mom's the reason why I love Harry Potter and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. My dad is the reason why I love movies like you know the drama, the gangster films, and the mystery films and the thrillers. Like that's what I take from him. First of all, I mean. The visual effects are absolutely incredible. Like you said, there is a lot of CGI here, but it looks incredible. It's insane how the visual effects here did not get recognized. Like at this point, we had had Transformers come out. And regardless of what everyone thinks about those movies, the visual effects in those first three, I'm only talking about the first three. I'm not acknowledging the two that followed. Although Bumblebee was very No, those don't exist. The visuals in those first three films are insanely good right after those that third one came out everyone was wondering what's going to be the next big robot action movie so then we get pacific rim and it's baller it is such a blast it is so fun some of the writing may not be the best it's a little generic at times it's cliche i'll give it that but hey i i let it slide because the rest was good it was a fun time it's what you want to see when you see a big budget blockbuster in the movies because now when it comes to a lot of the big budget blockbusters they're all about style they don't incorporate any substance into the substance of the movie but this one even though like i said some of it is cliche you still find a way of caring about the people involved mainly because idris elba is there and idris elba is just one of the most likable people ever I really had a great time at Pacific Rim. I never saw the sequel because Del Toro didn't direct it. When it was announced that he, when it was announced that they were going to shoot the sequel with him directing and Charlie Hunnam and Ringo coming back for the movie, and then all of a sudden they just scrapped it because of budgetary reasons, I got very angry, and I'm sure you did as well. 
And then when they said, oh, oh we're yeah. going to make the sequel, but Guillermo's not come back to direct it, then why is it worth watching? I love John Boyega. Yeah. I really do. He's great. He has a great charisma oh, and likability yeah. to him. But, and this was just after everyone learned who he was because Force Awakens had just come out and they said, oh, so he's going to be in the Pacific Rim sequel. I'm like, that's amazing, but he's not working with Del Foro and he should. No disrespect to the guy yeah. that's directing it, but it's like, what? what's the point? To me, it was disrespectful. Yeah, it, it was it's disrespectful because they took it away from it because it's oh, we're not going to give you more money. That's why he couldn't make Hellboy three. That's why he couldn't make exactly. Hellboy three. Like We're not going to give you more money, despite the fact that he he proves that he can use the money wisely. You know, he he uses the money. He invests exactly. correctly. Exactly. Like just because Pacific Rim didn't make as much money in the box office as it was expected to doesn't, you know, like the sequel. You give you had you given him more money for the sequel, perhaps it would have you know you could have gotten like more people like perhaps I would cast like another big name actor. You could have upped the ante with the kaiju's and the robots. You could have done so much, but yet you decide to just like not give it to Del Toro, and yet you still use the money to make a an inferior sequel. That nobody that nobody saw. Nobody saw it, by the way. And no hate to anyone involved in the movie, obviously. Like no hate to none of the cast or crew. But come on. Yeah, seriously, like come on. I still occasionally will cry over Hellboy 3. D- you know what? So do I. <laughs> so do I. I'm glad that I finally <laughs> made it on air. So, so. <laughs> sometimes I wake up at 3 a.m. and remember. <laughs> So now my number three, very different from Pacific Rim. You talked about how Pacific Rim was a very fun entertainment time. This movie's not fun at all. My number three is The Shape of Water. So, okay. Oh my God. It's okay. fun. It's fun. It, it's fun until it's not fun. So let me explain. I remember when it was announced that Guillermo was going to be making this film with Sally Hawkins in the lead. I'm like, okay, that's perfect. Like, she is one of the best working today. So I remember I went to go see War for the Planet of the Apes open at night with my friends. And they played this trailer for this movie and then said from director Guillermo del Toro. I was like, oh, my God, this is the movie that he that I've read about that I don't know anything about. And then when I saw in the trailer that she's making out with a fish man, I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? Like, what what is this? Like, seriously, what is going on? And then the movie premiered at Venice. It played at Toronto. It played at all these major film festivals. Everyone was like, this is a major, major, major awards contender. This is one of the best films of the year. Be on the lookout for it. And I'm like, I'm sure it's great, but I'm still like, I don't know. And I'll tell you right now, when I went to go see this movie, I did a triple feature that day. I saw three of the best picture nominees that day. And this was obviously before the Oscars, like long before the nominations came out. So I saw Darkest Hour first, and then I saw Call Me By Your Name, and then I ended the night by seeing this. Are you okay? I'll, I'll tell you right now, when I saw Call Me By Your Name, and I was... A mess at the end i was like oh my god please please let this movie not make me even more of a mess and then i watched this movie and then i'm like yeah i 
I want some ice cream <laughs> to make me feel better. Um, no, I, I love this movie so much. It's a beautiful romance. It's a nice ode to classic Hollywood. I mean, it is so just so lovely and so moving and it's so thrilling at the same time. It, you're on the edge of your seat because you don't know what's going to happen to this character. I'm pulling up the names right now just so I don't blame Eliza. Them. Yeah, Elijah and Eliza. And then, like, okay, first of all, I know the makeup work on Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour was great. They made him look exactly like Winston Churchill. That's amazing. Bravo and everything. But I'm sorry. Who gives a shit when the fishman is there? I was about to say that. Thank you for taking the words out of my mouth. Who gives a flying fuck when you have this incredible work on the fishman, the amphibian man, right in front of you? Listen, how many people have played Winston Churchill? Literally, go watch any British drama. Go watch The Crown. I'm literally counting on my toes how many people have played. Go like, watch that, The that Crown. Go literally watch any British TV show, miniseries, whatever. How many goddamn people have played Winston Churchill? It's been done. But the the makeup here, it should have won. I don't even think it was nominated for Best Makeup, which is absurd. Absurd. I remember. Like I, I, I literally don't understand. Shout out to Doug Jones. Doug Jones and Guillermo del Toro, just they're bread it, and butter. It's it's one of my favorite director actor parents that we ever right. have gotten. Like literally everything from Pants Labyrinth, Hellboy, this. The Toro and Jones is where it's at. There we go, baby. That's right. That's right. It's one of the best. So this film, the acting is incredible. Sally Hawkins is unbelievable. She is so great in this. Uh, Doug Jones, bravo to him as well. Richard fucking Jenkins was my favorite performance in this entire film. I literally, look, here's the thing. I am trying to recollate who won supporting actor that year. Who won supporting actor? I'm trying to it remember. It was three billboards outside every Missouri. Oh, I love Sam Rockwell so much. He's one of my favorite actors. And he was great in that movie, regardless of what people think of that movie. But Richard Jenkins, he was my personal favorite of that bunch. He was 100% my favorite of that bunch. <laughs> See, when she says, listen, it's... <laughs> listen, listen, you listen here. The scene in Shape of Water where Richard Jenkins is talking to the fishman and he says, I guess we're both relics lost in time. Gets me every single fucking time. Ah! <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God. Richard Jenkins, I literally wanted to give Richard Jenkins a hug like throughout the entire movie. Talk about the sequence where he goes to the diner too. Can we not <laughs> We won't talk about it, but it's like, oh my God. Like, dude, I want to just jump on screen and give you the biggest hug. I can't. Like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh my God. The entire ensemble is great. Octavia Spencer always slays. She's great. Oh and my oh favorite goodness. villain ever, Michael Shannon. He is so good at playing villains. He is so good. I don't, I literally don't understand. Whenever I see him play a nice guy, I, it literally throws me off because it's like, he seems like a very down to earth guy in real life. And I've seen him in interviews and he seems like the most humble man ever, (laughs) 
but then you watch him in these films and you're just like i want to fucking kill you so badly he is so good in this movie he is so good and a lot of people have talked about oh he's so over the top and so cartoony and i'm like I don't care because he gave a really great performance in this. And I don't think he was cartoony. I mean, yeah, he might, I don't know. I, I, I loved his performance. Also, I have to shout out Michael Stuhlbarg because he's one of the best character actors working today. I love how that year he was in three Best Picture nominees. I think that's incredible. He was in this, yeah. Call Him By Your Name, and The Post. The fact that he was in three Best Picture nominees that same year, that's Honestly? unheard of. That's shout impressive. Out, shout out to that year. Because I remember that, that Oscar season, It's it has a very special place in my heart because it was like that year when I filled out my ballot, I nailed everything. It was a very easy year to predict. It was a very easy was, year to predict. But also like I was, I was, it was kind of nerve wracking because I wanted, I wanted Guillermo to win so badly. And I was so stressed out because I, you know, he's big fan. He and uh, Iñárritu and, uh, oh, my God. Cuaron. Cuaron. Cuaron are best friends. And so Cuaron and Iñárritu already my have favorite the trio of all time. Literally my yeah. favorite trio of all time. I yeah. love all three of them so much. Iñárritu and Cuaron already had their Oscars. He was the only one that was missing. So I was like, he come on like he better get it like we need the 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 trio with the with the oscars not just like any oscar it's just an oscar for directing like all three of them have it like we're only missing Poirot to have an oscar for best picture he was close to winning for roma he was he was very close let's not get into that year we're not gonna get into that year we'll talk about that off camera because we uh, dev i i have a lot to say about that as well but um, yeah, when Guillermo won director, I was very, very happy. Even though this was not my favorite film that year, I was just very happy because it, yeah. he deserved it. And then, I'll be honest, when this got nominated for Best Picture, I was like, that's very exciting, but I don't see it winning. And I will tell you that on a technical level, again, this film is amazing. So it did walk away with it was nominated for 13 oscars it was nominated for the most oscars that night it got three it got three it got three acting nominations it got a screenplay yeah. nom cinematography which it should have frankly won for uh although blade runner was incredible so and roger Deakins was very deserving um it got nominated for costumes should have won for that who won costumes of the year i'm trying to look into who won all these things let's see Bob no, for um, so for costumes, it was to Phantom Thread, which was all about costumes. Oh. So I guess I guess that's understandable. Although Phantom Thread slaps, uh, makeup we just talked about. So walked away with original score by Desplat, who is one of the best composers working today. I mean, he is one of my favorites. Everything he does with Del Toro, everything he does with Wes Anderson, he is seriously one of the best composer. I, the little women score that he did with Greta. Oh my God. Amazing. Um, and it won production design as well. And it was nominated for both sound awards. So then Guillermo yeah. won director. And in the back of my head, I was like, I don't know who's going to win best picture. I was under the impression that it was going to go to three billboards because that was when yeah. best picture practically everywhere. And then when Warren Beatty and Faith Dunaway opened up the envelope and they said shape of water, this was me. I had an alcoholic beverage in my hand. I was watching and I nearly spit it out. I was like, what? 
I was, I, and that's a good one. I was like, oh my God, this is insane. I'm like, okay, the Academy actually has guts. They have balls because they awarded the move, the Fishman movie, their highest award of the night. But then you think more about it because there's a lot that's explored in this movie. It's about love and finding yourself. And really the character of Eliza, she's just so pure and wholesome. And you feel bad for her because she wants to be loved. She wants to find that special something because all she's really doing, she's going to work. She's a janitor with Octavia Spencer in Baltimore. And then she just finds this fish man and just sees something in him. And it's such a beautiful film and a beautiful romance. And it makes me cry every time. And honestly, the sequence where she's like at the cinema watching stuff, it, it, it shakes me up. It really shakes me up. And yeah, I, I adore the film so much. It made my top 10 that year. I love it to yeah. death. I didn't think that I was going to like it as much as I did, even though I walked into the movie with a lot of anticipation because I love Del Toro so much and I love the entire cast. So I was like, okay, I'm sure this film's going to be good, but is it going to be one of the best of the year? It was one of the best of the year. And again, even oh. though it wasn't my pick for best picture, I think it was a pretty deserving win. And also it's a very ambitious win because again, how often do you come across the Academy not giving it to something like this? I mean, sure, some people may look at it as Oscar bait, but I think a movie about a woman falling in love with an amphibian man, even though it's more than that, winning Best Picture is like really shocking. And I love it so much. And honestly, one of the funniest moments of that entire year was when Octavia Spencer said, how? Just how? Like she was asking like... And she's just like the hand. Yeah, she's just doing the hand. She's like, mm, 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 mm. Oh, man. Yeah. I love it. I love it to death. I really, really yeah. love it. And my dad, um, my dad calls that year, like the year that the Academy decided to award bestiality. Oh, my God. That's how he calls it. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. That's nuts. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, who would have thought that the Academy would award a movie about fish, fish, fish sex? Because obviously, there's a lot of layers to the movie, but when people talk about Shape of Water, they don't talk about the layers. They talk about fish sex. That's how it's known for. That's what it's known Unfortunately. For. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> but it's more than that. There's layers. It's like layers. An onion. It has layers like an onion, like Shrek says to yeah, Donkey. That's, exactly. what it, that's, what, that's what it is. Oh man, but yes. I love it. I, I really do love it. It's a beautiful <laughs> film and moves me and moves me. It just, it's so great. And now our top two, I I don't know why, but part of me feels like we have the same top two. I have no idea why I could be wrong. I think we have the same number one, but our number two, I have no idea what it's going to be. So okay. are you ready? Yeah. Oh, I'm ready. Gabby, what is your second favorite Del Toro film of all time? Crimson Peak. Speak. <laughs> go in talk about why tom hiddleston is beautiful and talk about why it's a very rich film talk about jessica chastain rocking the black hair like just go go in in go in about it I mean, those are components of it obviously like how how are we not are you not gonna watch crimson peak and think wow tom, tom hiddleston is so beautiful because he is like that that's a fact but that's not all this is is the aesthetic. I remember when I saw the trailer for Crimson Peak, I was like, that's my kind of movie. 
that's my kind of movie just like give me like some dark because i'm a huge gothic romance fan i love reading gothic romance so just see like and seeing guillermo del toro tackle that i was like hell yeah he's gonna nail it like if there's one thing my guy's gonna do is nail gothic romance and to me he did like visually like i think story-wise not the strongest but visually i think it's kind of like the same thing with with Nightmare Alley, like I think Crimson Peak's story is more intriguing than Nightmare Alley. I I was definitely more intrigued with it, but it kind of falls flat. But still, like the like the production design of it, the performances and everything else made up for it. And just like the ghosts, the ghosts, it was so scary. Like it was a time that I was like genuinely scared watching this film because the ghost was just so creepy like I just like that whole scene when one of them is like crawling through the hallways and it's just all in red like the decision to have the ghost be red and just like dripping blood that was brilliant it made it even more terrifying than just having like a regular like cool looking thing it's a really fun like it's a very intriguing film and then the plot twist is very disturbing and yeah like can criticize that all you want but i think it's a pretty great film and i really i really like it i've rewatched it a couple of times and it just it gets me every time and then just like the closing scene where edith is like reciting what she wrote and how it ends with like the fate of jessica chastain's character being revealed and then like can we talk about spoilers? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. If you've not seen Crimson Peak, it came out like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where we see Tom Hiddleston's ghost and him being white compared to the other ghost, it means that in a way he was like not attached to the house and he was at peace. Mind-blowing mind-blowing and then Jessica Chastain's ghost being black and like tied to the house and just like doomed to an eternity of just having to stay there because she was attached and could not let go and basically had cursed herself for not being able to like accept that her brother didn't want to be with her anymore I don't know it's a weird film it has a lot of layers too like it's not just a movie about incest What's your number two, Ryan? So it's not this film. <laughs> Darn it. This film did not make my list. Now, I, I, I'm going to be very upfront and say this. I've only seen this movie once. I have not seen this since it came out. I have been dying, dying to watch it again. Because when I saw it for the first time, when I was 17, and my expectations were through the roof high... I yeah. was a little disappointed with the movie. Um, I didn't hate it, but I was like, oh, that's it? Oh, okay. All right, goodbye. And I thought the acting was great. I thought aesthetically it was stunning. Tom and Jessica, I mean, that's a parent that I'll never forget again. And I'd be curious to see what would happen if they were together again. I mean, first of all, they're two of the most beautiful people ever. Jessica Chastain is literally my favorite person ever. She's literally my favorite human being I've ever come across ever. She rocked the black hair. I didn't think she would at first, but she rocked that look. But I mean, she always looks amazing. 
And her performance here was very disturbing. Tom Hiddleston at that point was like so high with Marvel to see him. And this was out mm-hmm. of left field. Mia Wasikowska, I thought she was really good. Mm-hmm. I liked Charlie Hunnam's little time on screen. The ensemble was great. The aesthetic was very pleasing to look at. But the story didn't fully click with me. When that twist happened, it, it definitely threw me off. I think it threw everyone off, but I was like, I don't know how to process this. I'm not sure how to take all this in, but I admire Del Toro for, again, doing what he wanted to do. This was a studio film, and he got to make a Guillermo Del Toro movie released by a high-profile studio, which is awesome. Universal literally said, make whatever you want. Here's the money. Do whatever you want with it. And he delivered on what he wanted to do. Even if it didn't fully resonate with me, he did what he wanted to do. Going into my number two, I'm going to go with one of his more underrated films. I'm going to go with The Devil's Backbone as his number two, as my number two for him. So I saw this film for the first time at the height of the pandemic a few years ago, and I went into it expecting it to just be a basic ghost story because that's what I was hearing a lot about. I heard that it was very akin to like, a basic ghost story that you would watch in the past and everything. But no, it was a lot deeper than that. It was it was a very terrifying film. But what I appreciated about it was that it was also very deep and elegant with the way it was presented in storytelling. And I was really impressed to see a war drama that was also a gothic horror movie because when you realize that this film is set during the last year of... <clears throat> the Spanish Civil War and send this orphanage. It is really terrifying to watch. There were some sequences where the adults are terrified and the children are terrified. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what is it that I'm watching? And I was so immersed into the world that Del Toro was presented. And it really moved me greatly, even though deep down I was petrified watching it because of how devastating of a watch it was. But the performances are incredible um the the main kid who plays carlos he's fantastic he's amazing he's one of it's one of my favorite child performances that i've watched in very recent memory and um like literally when the orphan becomes a ghost i mean i I was literally shook i I don't like using that word but i was literally shook and (laughs) The film is beautifully shot, wonderfully directed, very good dialogue, very engrossing story. I've only seen it once, so I can't say too much about it, but I remember just being very wowed by it. And the thing is that Del Toro, like all of his movies, he brings such empathy to all of his characters that even when they're flawed, you find a way of caring about them and you care about all the characters that are being presented on screen. And it really is a riveting watch. And, you know, again, like, you know, we think about how these ghosts that we see may be scary, but then we realize that um, we have this very twisted humanity about ourselves and how we look at things. And that's incorporated here. It's a really beautiful film. It's on the Criterion Collection. If anyone wants to check it out, it's a really terrific entry in del toro's catalog it's a very early film for him as well and yeah i love the devil's backbone i wish i could say more about it but it's one that's 
that definitely needs additional viewings. But when I watched it for the first time two years ago, I was absolutely floored by it. I just, I, I love when he makes these smaller intimate character studies, but Ed then is able to incorporate his style into them while making it not feel too over the top and hammy. Like this is a beautiful combination of mystery and horror. And the fact that again, it's set during the war, but it's also a gothic horror movie. That's an awesome combination. And the only person that can knock that out of the park is Del Toro, which is great. So I don't think this is your number one. So what are your thoughts on The Devil's Backbone? So funnily enough, like I've, I haven't seen, I've only seen it once. And you mentioned it, I was like, holy shit, like it just brought me flashbacks. So I saw it years ago, and I really don't remember much of it, but I do remember really liking it. And like when the orphan when the orphan turns into a ghost, again, I think that that's a scene that everyone who's seen it just like it stays with you. It's a moment that stays with you. And yeah, it's it's like you can tell that it's like one of his earlier films. Like to me, it felt very that he was still trying to figure out his voice as a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's why it kind of feels like in some ways he's trying all of these different styles of directing until, you know, obviously he, like, now you know a Del Toro film, but this one, you can, like, it's a great film to watch because it's him figuring out who he is as a director. I think that was my favorite part of it. But I do remember really liking it. I, but I, again, I, I don't remember, like, much of it i saw it so long ago i think i was in like middle school or something when i i think i saw it after i saw pacific rim yeah i think i'm not i don't remember but it's a really good one like out of of his of his early works i think it's the best one i agree when you look at his early works pre-hellboy because hellboy was really Mm -hmm. when everyone started to know who he was since that was such a big project um, like he made this, he made Chronos, which I also really like. I like that one as well. Yeah. But this one to me of his pre-blockbuster work was my favorite of that. Yeah. So now so now our number ones. I would be absolutely flabbergasted if we do not have the same number one because the way that Gabby was talking about this film at the start. I'm like, okay, this has to be her number one. This has to be, unless she pulls a surprise punch and says, oh, hey, Blade 2 is my number one. So I'm really curious to know what your favorite film directed by Mr. Guillermo del Toro is. Well, Brian, obviously it's Blade 2. Oh, damn it. <laughs> It's Pan's Labyrinth. Come on. Gabby's dying over there. <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth. It's my favorite film of all time. I what else can I say about that film that I haven't already said? Like the film that changed my life. Like, but what about you? Like I've gone on and on about Pan's Labyrinth and I talk about Pan's Labyrinth on a daily basis. There used to be this DVD store uh, in the, in a mall um, near my, where my grandparents live. 
And it's a mall I went to growing up and I still go to. It's Plaza Las Americas. Shout out to Plaza Las Americas. And so it used to be this DVD store. And they would also like sell like comic book stuff and like action figures and collectibles and all of that fun stuff. And I vividly remember that I found out about Pan's Labyrinth because I was walking with, by that store with my grandparents. And they had a life-size replica of the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth standing outside. I was like, I like that. <laughs> I was like six or seven years old. So I was, I should not have been watching Pan's Labyrinth at that age. But I did because my grandparents went into that store with me and I was asking about like, where's that from? Like, what is that thing? I like it. <laughs> and that's how I watched Pan's Labyrinth. Like my grandparents rented the movie for me so that I could watch it. <laughs> And I just sat there like in complete wonder. And then I remember my grandma was so scared because she has a phobia of frogs. And, you know, there's a scene where there's a giant frog that she has to get a key from. So my grandma was horrified. Like that was the one scene that horrified her. It was like nothing else in the movie. It was just a scene with the frog. So it's just... And then, yeah, my grandparents really love the movie to this day. Like, they still love the movie. And it's just something that I share with them because, like, it, I saw it with them for the first time. And they got to see me fall in love and be like, I can do that. Like, look, I want to do that. And, yeah, like, Guillermo del Toro, is, he's kind of like family because everyone in my entire family knows about him because of me and because of that movie. So, yeah, I just... It's it's a very sentimental film for me. So, what are your thoughts on? Wait, what's your number one person? Obviously, Pan's Labyrinth. Duh. <laughs> duh. Just double check. Just <laughs> double check. What are your thoughts on Pan's Labyrinth, Brian? It's I remember when I first saw the movie. I don't know how old I was when I saw it, but. I was in absolute awe watching it because I had never seen a fantasy monster movie like this before yeah. with such nuance to it and such subtlety that, again, like I said before, there's so much delicacy to be found in these characters in this story. And it's absolutely devastating to watch, but it's also so beautiful Heart at the same baby. time. What Del Toro does here is something that, again, we don't see in films like this anymore. Because when you watch films like this that are very heavy with the visual effects, the makeup, the production design, the costumes, like the, very heavy with the technical aspects, they care it about the like style. Yeah, exactly. They, they care more so about the style over the substance. Del Toro puts as much care into the style as he does with the substance but finds a way of upping the appreciation and the care for the substance this film is so beautiful it is so unpredictable it is very scary at times but it's also very magical for some reason you watch this and you're so immersed into this world the makeup is some of the best i have ever seen the production design right. is some of the best that I have ever seen. 
the young the pale man just like the whole oh my god it, it, incredible it's it's that so whole good. sequence it's amazing it's jaw dropping it's it's perfect I, it's a perfect film it's literally a perfect film the young girl that plays Ophelia literally chef's kiss literally phenomenal performance if that performance didn't work the whole film would not have worked if that Wait, performance like, failed the whole film would just have gone to waste but thankfully del toro found an actor that was able to convey so much in such a beautiful manner that it's one of the best child performances i have ever seen in my life the rest of the ensemble oh. is fantastic there's no complaints with the cast now, regarding the Oscars, when it came to this film, this film was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six Oscars. So it won Best Art Direction, rightfully so. Obviously. Cinematography, rightfully so. And more importantly, Best Makeup, rightfully so. And it was also nominated for Best Original Score. The score for this is absolutely incredible. Like, one of my favorite scores I've ever heard. And then it received a nomination for Best Screenplay, and Best Foreign Film. Now, I don't understand how this did not win Best Foreign Film. Obviously, I cannot comment on what else was nominated that year, but and I, I just maybe comment on one. I can only comment on one, and that is After the Wedding by Sam Beer because it is also one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I heard that's a very good movie. I heard that's really good. It's I do want to watch film. that. So, but yeah. man, do you not know how fucking cool it would have been if this won? Like, Again, it would have been so ballsy for the fact that they even nominated it is already cool enough, but the it, it it could have won and it would have been something even cooler, but unfortunately they decide not to. But I think that nominated what won, won that, that year? year? That's a good question. Let me pull that up right now. The film that won best foreign language film that year is The Lives of Others from Germany. Darn it. <laughs> oh my god. It's a good a good movie i i heard that's good too it's good but it's not pants labyrinth good <laughs> exactly so original screenplay <laughs> oh interesting so it lost to well, little miss sunshine which i love i love that movie but oh uh, it's not pants labyrinth <laughs> it's not it's not pants labyrinth <laughs> everything's incredible i mean it's like gabby said what can you say that hasn't been said about this movie already everything you've heard about this movie is like the right thing it's hard to meet someone that doesn't like this movie. Again, the fact that they make a film set during the war that is so depressing, but then it's also this imaginative monster movie. It's incredible. It's the kind of storytelling that we do not get anymore. And the fact that we got it from this wonderful human being that this came out of his head, it's amazing. And I love it so much. Pants Labyrinth was actually one of the first Criterions that I bought. As soon as I came to the Criterion Collection, I bought that bad boy right away. I didn't even care that I paid full price for it because the movie is so fucking good. So I was willing to drop $40 for that movie because it's so good. Love it so much. Pants Labyrinth is the best film that Guillermo del Toro has made. It's also our favorite film that Guillermo has made. I mean, there's nothing better than what he made with this. I mean, that's not to say that he could top this, but honestly, at this point, he hasn't done it in 16 years. Who knows if he's ever going to find a way to top what he did here. Hey, we haven't seen Pinocchio yet. That's true. Pinocchio could literally top this. We we have no idea when we're seeing it. Like, it's it's very frustrating that we don't know when we're seeing it, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So 
Let's recap our list from five to one. So, Gabby, what is your list from five to one? It's Nightmare Alley. Help. Wait. Let me pull it up. Not Hellboy 2. Hellboy 2. Yeah, it's yeah. Nightmare Alley, Hellboy 2, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, and Pan's Labyrinth. And to recap my list, at number five, <clears throat> number five, we have Nightmare Alley, number four, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, number three, The Shape of Water, and number two, The Devil's Backbone, and number one, of course, Pan's Labyrinth. So that is it with our list. Let's just talk about our anticipation for Pinocchio right now. You know, obviously there's some oh films that Guillermo made that are great. Obviously the first Hellboy I love. Uh, Kronos was very good. Pacific Rim is very good. Yeah, we but love him. We love everything. We really love him. He has yet to make a film that I don't like. Even though I wasn't as jazzed about Crimson Peak, I don't dislike that movie. Like, so yeah. the guy has yet That's to make a film. Rally. That's me guy. with Nightmare Alley. I don't hate that movie. I was just sad that I did not like it like I expected it to. It, that's exactly. That's totally, totally valid. We all like, come even across Kronos, movies like, like that. I, I, like, I remember watching Kronos and being like, I don't really like this movie. But then yeah. as time passed, like, you know, there's some good in it. That's, I don't hate it, it. That's how I felt. I was like, Kronos is okay. But then the more I watch, the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, this is actually a pretty good movie. But Pinocchio, yeah. oh, oh my God, oh my God! Like, okay, what I'm so, most excited is that this film has been in development hell for like ten years. Literally, and he has this. Lost. This has been in development hell since you and I were teenagers, and now we're adults, Literally. and now it's finally coming. Literally. It's it's insane. Like, it's he has. He has fought hell and high water to make this film and to keep it a stop-motion animated film. Yeah. So the fact that it is now happening, like, just the way he speaks about it, just, like, this is going to be a masterpiece. Like, literally... I haven't seen it. This is my best animated feature of the year, and I haven't even seen it. I just know it's going to be. 1,000%. 1,000%. You just look at the images and you're just like, oh my God. And then you see some clips and you're just like, there, there's Listen. no way. There's no, there's no competition. There's no way that this is going to lose. Now, here's my thing. I was, I'm reading about this right now. So this was announced by Del Toro. Literally get ready for this. Gabby, when we were 10 years old, he announced this project. He announced this project when Hellboy 2 came out. I know it's bad. It's baffling. And this film was supposed to come out. I'm reading all about this right now. It was supposed to come out in 2013, 2014. But then the project went into development hell. In January of 2017, uh, it was announced that, where where is he? Patrick Mahale was going to co-write the script. But then the production was suspended in November of 2017 as no studio was willing to provide financing. But then... The following year, Netflix came in clutch and said, Guillermo, here you go. Finish this movie. Do what you have to do. We're going to give you as much money as you want. Let's do this bad boy. And now it's finally here. It has world premiere a little while ago at the London Film Festival. And then the reviews were glowing. And it was just at the AFI Film Festival. 
And literally everybody that I trust, that I look up to, that I rely on really, when I want to hear people's thoughts on films, every single person loved the movie. I have yet to find a review that says that this movie's not good. I'm sure there's going to be someone out there that doesn't like the movie. But honestly, even the reviews that I've seen that aren't as positive as others, I've yet to come across a review where someone says this is bad. There's some people that are like, I really liked it, but I didn't love it as much as other people. That's totally fine. There's always going to be films that come out like that. But the fact that there isn't any bad reception so far, and obviously not everyone has seen it, but like, that's very reassuring to me. And just hearing all the passion that Del Toro has had bring this film to life, the fact that he's made so many films while also making this film simultaneously. I mean, the fact that he was doing like Nightmare Alley at the same time and Crimson Peak at the same time and Shape of Water, Shape of Water. at the same time. And the fact that and then he was doing this as well. It's like, oh my God. And also I've been excited for this film because of Del Toro making it, but also I love the cast that he assembled here. Ewan McGregor is one of my favorite people ever. I love him so dearly. I think he's a perfect cast as Jiminy Cricket, and I haven't even seen the movie to know that. And then you have my Kate Blanchett. Tilda Swinton. Tilda, Tilda Swinton Swin- is in his- Tilda Swinton, Christoph Waltz, Kate Blanchett, Ron Perlman, Mr. Filch himself, David Bradley as a Potterhead. That is a huge thing for me. And even though I don't really care for Finn Wolfhard, I think it's kind of cool that he's in this too. So, um, yeah, I mean, the cast assembled here is just amazing. I'm so, so ready to see this. And just hearing everyone's praise, it gets me so excited. And you know what? I get excited that stop motion films, when they come out, I think stop motion is my favorite form of animation. I love when Wes Anderson does with stop motion. I love what um, Laika does with stop motion animation. And the fact that Netflix has two stop motion animations this year in Wendell and Wild and this, I mean, that's just so amazing because these are two films that have been in development hell for a really long time. And now both of them are finally coming out this year. Wendell and Wild has obviously already come out, but now Pinocchio's coming out. And it's just like the hype is really skyrocket high. And I'm going to be honest. I don't usually like to be that kind of guy that's like, oh, this is easily going to be my favorite film of the year. I wouldn't be shocked if this ends up being my favorite film of the year. I'm not going to be shocked one bit because honestly, it the Pinocchio storyline was something that I loved as a kid. I watched that Disney Pinocchio movie all the time when I was a kid. I haven't seen the remake. I don't care to. Don't do this is do this is the only don't Pinocchio movie. I, I, I don't, I'm sorry, Tom Hanks. I can't do it, but this is the only Pinocchio movie coming out this year that I care about. Del Toro, that cast assembled, the glowing reviews, the stunning looking animation. And then I'm hearing like so many good things about the music and the writing and just like everything. And then I'm hearing it's an emotional roller coaster. And I'm like, I'm not ready for this at all. I'm literally not ready to watch this at all. But I think my hype is probably not as high as yours. I just, I feel like I have been waiting for this film for forever because I, I, th- I feel like we truly have. We have. Like, he has, he has been talking about Pinocchio for years, years. I remember because he produced um the Book of Life. That's right. Yeah. And I remember he did an interview 
for a Mexican TV show and I was watching it with my mom. And even then he was talking about the book of life, but then he was like talking about Pinocchio. And that's what I was like, wait, he has like a Pinocchio movie coming up. And I thought I would be seeing like a year or two. And then it just never happened. And then I started looking into it. It's like, oh my God, what? Like, I need to see this movie. And so then I remember when the trailer came out in January of this year. And I remember, because it was my best friend who sent it to me and was like, have you seen this? And I was like, it's real. It's, finally it's real. It's finally happening. What? Like, and then I and I and I thought, oh great, it will be in a couple of months in it, fucking December. And I'm like, this is, has been like the most agonizing way of my life. Like the only wait time I can compare it to is like waiting in between the Hunger Games and Catching Fire. Like that period of time waiting for Catching Fire was the longest and most agonizing wait of my entire life, and that can only be topped by the wait for Pinocchio. Because we've literally been waiting like more than 10 years for this movie to come. Yeah. Yeah. The Hunger Games yeah, you wait it, a year and a half for, and then this you wait 10 years for. It's like. Yeah. It's and like, to me, like, I'm willing to wait because, you know, other than losing like the money and having to move studios and all of that happened in development, the fact that he has taken the time to make the film that he wants to make and he refused to like give in to like police a studio. He just stuck to what he wanted to make the entire time. As he should. Exactly. As every every creative person should be able to make what they want to make that they should not relent or give in to like a corporation. Like that sucks that some creatives have to do that. And that sucks. But seeing, you know, but I mean, he's in a position where he can, you know, he he's a big name. So he's in a position where that might be rare for him to have to like relent to some studios. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. But, you know, he's making the movie he wants to make. And to, I'm willing to wait for that. I'm willing to wait for that. Like with Martin Scorsese with Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm willing to wait. I'll wait. <laughs> Exactly. I will wait you. But thankfully, we don't have to wait that much longer to see this movie. Just one more month. Just not not even a whole month. Not even a whole because literally, if this thing comes to New York at the time of this recording in like this week, I'm 100 percent considering coming into the city just to see this movie. I'm 100 percent considering. I will drop everything. I will, I will drop everything. I refuse to watch this at home. I refuse to watch this at hey, home. I was literally telling Josie about it. I'm like, I'm not watching this movie in RTV. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Listen, I don't care if I have the biggest TV with the best surround sound ever. I don't care. This is a movie that I 100% want to see on the big screen. And also, I'm a big fan of seeing stuff on the big screen, especially when it's from someone so respected like Del Toro, who is a big proponent of presenting films on the big screen, even though this is coming to a streaming service, but it's not just going straight there. I'm so excited for Pinocchio. Like, obviously, there's a few more films coming out this year that I am excited for. I'm excited for Way of Water. I'm excited for Babylon. But really, no other film coming out this year has my hype more than Pinocchio. It's Pinocchio. I can wrap the year with Pinocchio. (laughs) Honestly, literally same. Low key, I wish this was coming out on Christmas Day because this would be a perfect way to end the whole year just by watching this. Oh, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make my entire family watch it. 
like when I go home for Christmas, I'm sitting down my entire family and we're gonna watch Pinocchio. I I'm already telling my my mom and my sister are already excited to watch it. They're already well. I don't. I'm, I'm gonna try to. I hope my mom convinces my dad to watch it too. So like, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that Steve watches Pinocchio. Fingers crossed. Everyone. Fingers crossed. Steve watch Pinocchio. <laughs> so I mean, obviously our hype for Pinocchio is very high, as you guys could see. But to close our thoughts on Del Toro, really truly one of the most visionary filmmakers that is not only working today but one of the best that we've ever gotten again his style is so unique and so him he's not one of those filmmakers that copies other storytellers he incorporates his own thing and i love that so much about him and then the last thing i will say about him too is what i love about certain filmmakers is that they don't always cast the same actors to headline their films Every single Guillermo del Toro movie is headlined by someone different. Like the lead mm-hmm. is always someone different. Like what are you, I mean, he's collaborated with some of the same actors multiple times, but he doesn't have them as the lead. Like think about how we had Bradley Cooper headline Nightmare Alley. He had never worked with him before. Mia Wasikowska headlined Crimson Peak. Sally Hawkins headlined Ship mm-hmm. Water. Charlie Hunnam headlined Pacific Rim. Like he has different actors headline. We're not counting the Hellboy films because those are, sequel so that doesn't count but i love that he doesn't rely on casting the same people as the lead and again no disrespect to scorsese who i love dearly but you don't always have to cast leo or de niro as your leads i'm just saying it's it like i'm glad that spielberg doesn't do that with every single one of his movies i'm glad that he doesn't do that but like scorsese my dude i listen i know you don't like marvel but you don't need to cast the same two people as the leads of your movies. I'm just saying, I'm not the only one who thinks that, but yeah, I, I love Del Toro so much. My voice is just going away because of how enthusiastic I was talking about Pinocchio, but I love him so much. So Gabby, what are your closing thoughts on this wonderful, wonderful human being who I just want to hug so much. He's like a teddy bear. I just want to give him the biggest hug. He, he truly is like, I got to meet him and meeting him is probably like, the highlight of my entire life. Like I think I peaked when I met. Like people just, say you people say you peak in high school, but really you peaked when you met when you met Guillermo del Toro. Like it's such because you know they're always like, oh, don't meet your heroes. Like it could be a bad experience, mm-hmm. or you know, yeah. it could be. But it's kind of like a crazy story how it happened because I went to the Nightmare Alley premiere. And I literally met everyone except him. And I was mad. I was like, I am here for Guillermo del Toro. Like, I got to talk to Richard Jenkins. And Richard Jenkins, great guy. Like, no, I'm not. Like, Clifton Collins Jr., again. Like, he was great. Like, much. But I was like, where's Guillermo? Where is he? And I didn't get to meet him at the premiere. I met him the day after. Because he happened to be at a Q&A in Lincoln Square. And I happened to be there. It was fate. It was fate. <laughs> and, and I remember that the there were, like, the cars waiting outside. And, like, the peop- there was literally no one there. Like, the people who were at the screening left. And so it was just, like, the car waiting for him. And he, like, gets out of the theater. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I am freaking out. Like, I... I see him and then I'm 
and then like no he's like but he's like talking to like his people the guard he's just like a chill guy and then he sees me and i'm like and i start speaking in spanish i'm like yeah i'm like you're the reason i study film and he like comes to me <laughs> and he like we shake hands and he's like hi i'm guillermo what's your name like and we just talk for like five minutes and That's it's amazing. like and i still get chill. like i don't know how i did not cry <laughs> i did not cry i we just talked and you know he was very attentive and he was and he was like you know giving me advice and it was just so beautiful and then i remember like his bodyguard standing next to us he was looking at us like oh like we were because we were speaking in spanish so no one understood what we were saying but they could tell that we were having a moment and it was yeah it was beautiful like i have so many pictures because I, I had a friend with me just I stood love that. on the side she was taking pictures of like the moment and then yeah like i posted them everywhere like if Anyone who follows me on social media when this happened, like they know. <laughs> I was That's just that's just amazing. That's so amazing yeah. that you got to meet him and have that moment with him. I mean, I I love that. Now I'm getting yeah. teary eyed just thinking about it. I could just oh my it's, god, that's yeah. that's amazing. Oh uh, yeah. Like he so yeah, like he's generally like a great person and every single person that has met him has said the same thing that he's just he's a great person to talk to and he will listen and you know take the time to talk to you and I remember like a lot of he was in Disneyland recently and a, a, someone I follow on Twitter was on the was at Disneyland too and happened to run into him at Disneyland I had a friend who was also there at that same time too yeah, so it was just so so cool, and every time someone meets meets him and posts about it, I get so happy because it's like yes, yes, like everyone who loves their daughter should have a chance to talk to him because it's truly like the best thing. Absolutely, I mean, like he's just one of the kindest souls in the whole industry, yeah. and he is one of the best voices in the industry. And honestly, seeing your passion about him was really why I brought you on today. And I'm just so glad that I got to see you express that passion. Gabby, it was such an honor to have you on today. I loved okay. getting to talk to you about Del Toro. I, I, I just I just seeing that passion really just moves me. As the host of this show, my favorite thing about having people on here is just seeing them glow about the films that they love, about the actors and the filmmakers and the genres that they love. And just seeing your enthusiasm about this man really moves me just how he changed your life not only as a filmmaker as a film fan but also as a person I mean that to me is so beautiful and I'm so glad that I got to have you on today so that you could express your love and appreciation for this man who really is a crucial part of your entire life yeah like I I know that I'm at one point one of my films is going to be dedicated to him. I'm just going to be like, forgive me, like a little. <laughs> like, you know, how many, like, like it's, a thing. it's a thing that's going to happen. Like, It will definitely oh. happen. It, it will absolutely happen. But really, Gabby, thank you so much for coming on today. Really, it was yeah. such an honor to have you on.
Yeah, I'm so happy to to have finally been a guest on your podcast. <laughs> I'm so ha- I'm so ha- I'm really happy, seriously. <laughs> so, right. where could the people find your work online? Your content, your where could the people find Gabby online? <laughs> so, Twitter is going downhill, but I'm still on Twitter. Like everyone's been tweeting that everyone's like pretty much like the musicians on the Titanic. That's how we're, that's where we're at right now. So if you want to stay on Twitter, you can follow me at Gabby underscore Burgos 27. You can find me on Letterboxd at Gabby Christina 27 and on Instagram, which seems to be the place where everyone's going to run to. So on Instagram, it's Gabby Christina 27 And also you can follow and you can follow film posters everywhere if you want. Oh man, I hope it doesn't go downhill. I've met so many of you wonderful people on there. So I for you know. guys for you for you guys listening. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd at Brian Sutfield. Subscribe to this show wherever you're listening to it, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We have a Twitter for right now and an Instagram for the show as well. Uh, subscribe to that. Or follow those to stay up to date with the show so you can find early announcements about what episodes are coming. Even though Twitter's going downhill, we have Phil Fragments are not going downhill. We have so many great guests lined up. We have so many great episodes lined up from now until the very end of 2022 into early 2023. Stay tuned for that. Cannot wait for you guys to listen to the great episodes that we have coming your way. Guys, it is such an honor hosting the show. I'm so grateful for all of you that listen. I'm so appreciative to everybody that has stuck around for this show. Thank you guys seriously so much from the bottom of my heart. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody.